you are listening to the Kinetic Man Podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm David. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living a life defined by uncommon action that is full of purpose, adventure, and meaningful relationships. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours and together achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to leave the potential life behind and become kinetic men. And one of the things that David and I love most about podcasting is the incredible conversations and the advice that we get from our guests. Honestly, I truly believe it's the one thing that has made the most impact on me for my personal growth. What you may not realize is that David and I oftentimes get a ton of free advice before and after the show, spanning from different topics between investing, parenting advice, how to create an epic marriage, health tips and tricks, and much, much more. Unfortunately for you listeners, we've been a bit selfish and we haven't shared all of that sage advice with you guys, but that's coming to an end. Over the past three months, we've started to ask and record this one question to all of our podcast guests. What is the one action step that you recommend taking to level up in your business and in your personal life? And the answers have been life-changing. So the question is, would you be interested in hearing those same answers? We're calling it Leveling Up with TKM, and we want to share it with you. Only for $2 a month, you'll get four recorded videos every month in your inbox um, with those answers to the question that, that we just asked. And here's how you get it. Go to thekineticman.com backslash level up. Again, that's thekineticman.com backslash level up. Sign up today, get those videos, and go take uncommon action. Jordan, I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, I've been thinking all morning. I actually woke up at like 3 a.m. with like ideas and thoughts and questions in my mind that I needed to write down and, and have uh, available for you. Uh, but uh, but welcome to the show. I'm really, really glad you uh, said yes to coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And that what you just said there is actually proof of of one of the points that I've been talking about a lot lately is what causes you to wake up at three in the morning? That's probably something deeply tied to your purpose. So I know we're going to talk about purpose today, but the things that keep you late at, up late at night or wake you up early in the morning excited are those kind of things we want to pursue in our life. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I, uh, I was telling David, I was like, man, I'm 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 a little like nervous. I'm excited about this conversation. We've had some really great guests on, and uh, you know, you're you're obviously uh, one of them. But uh, speaking of purpose, I was uh, David and I are really uh, we have you know families, young kids, and uh, this weekend uh, I was telling David, I have I've started kind of a list of things uh, that I I want to teach my kids. I have a nine year old daughter and a six year old son. And I took my son on a, on a date day, a daddy date uh, this weekend. My wife took uh, our daughter and uh, I was asking my son, like, what he wanted to eat. And I was like, naming out some stuff. And I said, sushi. And he was like, yeah, dad, let's go get sushi. I was like, whoa, because typically it's like noodles and company. He wants like mac and cheese. Right. Uh, and, and I was like, all right, cool. Let's, I got excited about that. And um, we went and, and had sushi um, and I tried to teach him how to use chopsticks. Jordan. I don't know if you've experienced, but trying to teach a six-year-old how to use chopsticks is hard, is really hard. And that whole like purpose thing about like teaching my kids and being a really great dad, like that went out the window. And I was like, here, son, here, just, just use a fork. And like my patience like went out the window. I, I don't know if you've ever had any experience like that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I failed on my purpose this weekend. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, this idea of how we teach our children. I think about it a lot in terms of money, but it's not just money. It works with almost everything. Like there's this different these different ways to teach kids, right? And one of them is to try to didactically teach them, right? You tell them about the world. That, believe it or not, doesn't work very well because they generally don't listen, doesn't stick. The next is through modeling, right? So your kid sees you eating with chopsticks. You can explain what it feels like to eat chopsticks. That's only going to go so far. Your kid can see you eating with chopsticks. And then he kind of says, oh, dad's doing that. Maybe I'll give it a try, right? And then the last is experiential learning, which is actually you put them in a safe enough environment that they can fail easily, but without consequence. And you let them go for it. And they kind of learn and they fail and they make mistakes and blah, blah, blah. So whether you felt good about it or not, you were doing exactly what you needed to do. You probably said, oh, you hold it like this. So you did the didactic part. You then modeled the behavior by doing it yourself. And last but not least, you gave them a chance. And at some point you got a little tired of it. But if you think about it, we do that over and over and over again with our children. And if we're really smart, we utilize all three techniques. And believe it or not, again, the didactic teaching is probably the least important. So I would tip my hat to you. You probably did it just right. So Stu, what I'm hearing uh, Doc G say is that you need to lock Wellesley in a room 
with only chopsticks only and chopsticks food and be like you can't eat this unless you figure out how to use those sticks yeah the chopsticks to eat it. dude like, the, that's the, it. the sushi roll was like destroyed he, he was like you know like had two things it was like just like attacking it like it all fall apart and the rice like felt like it wasn't even sushi anymore it was just like rice like scattered on a plate that's i sometimes feel that way when i'm like writing a book or doing a podcast or but if you think about it, a lot of us started that place, right? Yeah. We started that place where we we're like trying to take the two chopsticks at, at a 90 degree angle and et cetera. And, and, but that's actually, again, we as adults, we we do that all the time. And, and I guess the difference between the kid and the adult is we realize, hopefully, especially if we've been successful in life, that that is the usual starting place for just about everything, right? And that's when you start building on that. And over time, you start looking much more like a pro as you you do it more often. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I was, uh, I was having a lot of questions. I was questioning myself as a father this morning, you know, you talk about purpose, identity and and connections and and how that, that is just prevalent through the book. And we're going to get to all that. But I, uh, my son was sick this weekend. Uh, I have three kids. My youngest was, he woke up throwing up and you know, Saturday. So in his mind, Saturday was a wasted day. So he woke up this morning, completely excited. Like he was like, yes, it's the morning. And I, he was so happy. And he came downstairs and he saw me making lunches and he's like, he, he kind of stopped. He's like, dad, we have school today. And he's seven. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So for like five, 10 minutes, he's downstairs. He didn't even realize this. He's so happy. And then he like lost. He's like, oh, I don't want to go to school. He lost his mind, lost his mind. And I started laughing at him. Like I couldn't help. I was like, wow, you just switched. He thought it was Sunday to him. It was Sunday because he just completely lost the day being sick. And, and, but, but it's funny because I have this, this book and you just, what you just said, you know, your book is top of mind and, and, you know, just this absolute focus on where we invest at the end, you talk about investing in children and how we do this whole thing. And, and it was interesting because, um, the modeling part of it as well, that you just said, you know, there's, there's a level of a uh, student I talk about all the time, apologizing to our kids. Why do we do that? We do that to model what it looks like to apologize. And then there's the next level that we recently kind of were exposed to that's, um, just uh, telling them how we also fall short of modeling God as the father and that, that influence for our kids, how we fall short. So now there's a learning lesson to, to talk about, you know, the Lord and our beliefs and how we fall short in all these things. Um, and so I fell short today. I fell short, uh, because I laughed and I couldn't stop <laughs> laughing and it got, he got so mad <laughs> and I was just like, dude, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, can I record this? And And he got really upset. So I failed in. Uh, my purpose is a dad. My identity is a dad. Connecting with my kids and and all the modeling and the didactic and and all the learning. So that that was a that was my little experience this morning. Yeah, and I mean that you know the truth of the matter is, thank God with kids, we get a chance every day, right? Every day we get a chance to do it over again. I, I love that story too because, you know, kids. I wish as adults we could attack the world with such verve as kids do, right? So. This is like this perfect example of kids actually hit the world with a lot of joy and purpose. And eventually we get railroaded into school and society's expectations and sometimes social media's expectations. All these things really bring down the hammer on us. And we see our children go from these really joyous, smiley, easy to laugh kids to these much more serious teenagers and eventually much more serious adults. Um, no kids can't skip school every day because they find joy and purpose in doing other things. But I do love this idea. And I, again, sometimes as adults wish we could reconnect with that child in us who woke up overjoyed with this idea of a new day. Kids don't struggle with purpose nearly as much as adults do. They kind of innately, especially really young kids before they, before they feel societal's crush hit them really have these great ideas of what's important and meaningful to them. And we somehow lose that as we get older. Yeah. So much, man. Um, hey, I want to take a step back, if we could, um, and just give us a little bit of background. Give our listeners a little bit of background about about who Jordan Grumman is. I, I kind of know you as Doc G. I think a lot of the investing, financial independence world knows you as Doc G. But could you give us kind of give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Sure. So basically, I always when I begin the story of who I am, I always kind of say, well, my father died when I was seven years old because it had such a great impact on my life him dying. He was a physician. I somewhere saw the world through a lens of a kid that it was somehow my fault, although it had nothing to do with me. And so I decided to become a physician like him because I thought that was going to fix this cosmic wrong that occurred. 
And so I found a lot of purpose in this idea of becoming a doctor. It actually kind of drove me throughout my childhood, eventually became a doctor, burned out, realized that maybe it didn't speak to my soul as much as I thought it did, realized that I was financially independent. I discovered the financial world through my fears of how much money do I need in order to stop doing this thing I don't like doing anymore, realized I was financially independent and had kind of a psychic crisis of oh, I'm free, but freedom also means stepping away from the only thing that's ever defined me. And so I spent the next bunch of years slowly pulling away from medicine and starting to really engage in things that I was passionate about, what I had joy for. A lot of that ended up being writing and podcasting and public speaking because finances had kind of, in a sense, saved me. I started about talking about and writing about those things. And especially in my podcast, I would have these experts on and we talk about how to make money and how to save money and how to invest money. But a lot of times we all were kind of stumped. And so what does all this mean? Like what does living a good life and being happy mean above and beyond accruing a high net worth and being successful in business? And strangely enough, I started finding the answers in hospice patients. So when I decided to leave medicine, the one part of medicine I kind of held on to was taking care of the terminally ill and dying. I realized it would do that even if I wasn't being paid for it. So although I got rid of almost every part of my practice of medicine, I kept on doing some consulting for hospice companies. And so I kept doing that for 10 or 15 hours a week. And strangely enough, I found a lot of those questions I was having on my financial podcast were kind of answered by my dying patients who are sitting on their deathbeds, looking at their life's regrets, looking at life for the first time through a lens that wasn't clouded by societal expectations or social media or keeping up with the Joneses, all those things that kind of drop away. And they got to really look at their life and say, what did I accomplish? What didn't I accomplish? And what are my regrets? And I was like, wow, how powerful is that? What if much younger people could start having these epiphanies? And what if they could then build financial lives around them? around not having regrets and around doing these really important things, as opposed to waiting till it was too late. And too late can be hitting financial independence, because for some of us, that's going to take decades and decades. Or too late can be sitting on your deathbed. Um, too late can be a lot of a lot of things. But the point was, why are we putting off this important stuff? And part of it is just a mind shift change. It's realizing that money is not the goal. It's just a tool. And it's a tool to do more important, bigger things. So maybe we really need to start looking for those bigger things today. And so that's how it all kind of intersected and made me maybe the world's first hospice doctor slash financial expert. Uh, I, I love that, uh, Jordan. One of the things that you, um, you know, early in your book, very, very much related, you, you write, when death comes, when death becomes certain, it's like a vice grip around the neck has been loosened. Focus shifts away from a fear of loss and toward the possibility of what can still be gained and experienced. I absolutely that that those lines really resonate with me because it's so and I was explaining to somebody uh, I was explaining to somebody last week your book and I was I was explaining how you you really you 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 talk about the silver lining of a terminal illness right like how it is usually the biggest most shocking thing that happens to people um you know you describe that and then once they get through that shock the level of clarity is actually something of beauty that that more of us if we gain that knowledge would be, would be free, right? We'd be, we'd be, we'd be under, we'd understand what we truly desire our life to look like and what we want to do. And we'd have clarity. And, and my question for you is, you know, for those that haven't read the book at the end of, I believe that was pretty early on at the end of that chapter, um, you have a list of questions and exercise you can go through to get that. And, and so I know a lot of people have read the book and they may have gone through those questions. My question for you is how often do you see people successfully fabricate um, or at least live this way permanently? Actually, I see it all the time. I think the biggest problem is that we just are waiting through life, not even realizing that we're not doing the things we want to do. We have this dysphoria. We're like, I get this nagging feeling. I'm not living up to my potential. I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm at a job I don't love. I'm too tired to interact with my wife and kids when I get home. Like, I think we all know that's there, but a lot of people get so confused about the end goal that we never actually stand back in question, right? So I talk about money as a mirage or net worth as a mirage or financial independence as a mirage. These are all false ending places and they confuse us. They block our vision from the things that are more important that maybe not be in the future. The things like 
What does purpose look like in our lives? Who are those people we want to be connected to? Who am I as a person? Um, all of that is stuff that we should really be contemplating now when we put it off. So the magic of that is when you actually help unveil some of these ideas and people see them and realize, oh, like I can go shoot for a net worth, but I'm just trying to do that to it, I want to be happy. And what makes me happy? Well, these are the things that make me happy. And maybe I don't necessarily need to be to financial independence to start doing those things. So I see it often. And in fact, I think it's a Buddhist term, right? Memento mori, this idea that we should be carrying the idea of death with us at all times. Um, Memento mori, this idea that we should realize that we are mortal and that we could die at any time. And we should, that should live beside us as we walk our days. And so I think once you have that knowledge and that understanding, I don't think it disappears. And it does. It makes you change much quicker. So for instance, for the Earn and Invest podcast, we're doing a mastermind. Part of that mastermind is a lot of people who are like me. We're kind of middle-aged professionals who are starting to get to the point that we have enough money. We realize something's wrong, but we're not sure what to do or how to change. And even in the last six or 12 months of doing this mastermind as people talk more and get encouragement and find the connections with other people in similar situations. I've seen them change their lives, leave jobs, change careers, pursue hobbies and other things that are important to them. So I think it's very real and I think it's very possible. I think we almost need that wake up call to say, hey, you know, you're not looking in the right direction. Uh, you're putting off the important things because it scares the heck out of you. And I think a lot of people are actually scared of this idea that it's not obvious, but I think a lot of the reasons why we put off these important things is because we're scared to death of dying. Like we're scared of this idea that life is finite and that we're mortal. So instead of thinking about doing those important things that we want to do before we die, those really deep, important things for us, we put them off because it's much easier than thinking about doing those. And what that means is that life is finite and we might not get there. Um, and so I think once you help people start doing those things today, it sticks. It's it's that when then thinking, right? Like when, when I'm financially independent, then I'll do this. Yeah. When I'm a millionaire, then I'll be happy. Like when, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, concept that people go through. Yeah. And it, it really, you have to remember. So a lot of the times I talk about agency, right? This ability to change what's happening in your life. A lot of times we don't have necessarily agency to reach that when right away. If the when is financial independence, you have agency to work towards it, but it might take a bunch of years. On the other hand, you do have agency about changing yourself today. And so I like to really focus on what you can control and how you can use that to make changes now as opposed to waiting till some future event. Yeah, I love that. We said we would get into it and here we are. The question is like, all right, you know, great, great doc G I need to find my purpose, right? I need to figure out what I'm all about. Like, okay, how, how do I do that? How does a middle-aged man who's, you know, been a military career and that's my title. How do I truly figure out like what, what I want to do for the rest of my life? What's my purpose in life? So I think there are a few different ways to answer this. One is to realize that I think we totally have purpose wrong, right? So studies show that people who understand or feel a sense of purpose in life live longer, are healthier, and are more happy. Yet other studies show that people have something called purpose anxiety, this idea that trying to find your purpose makes you anxious, and that actually gives you stress and depression. Studies show that 91% of people have that at some point in life. So the big question is how purpose can be like both the most important thing as well as incredibly anxiety-causing. The truth of the matter is I think we look at purpose wrong. I think most of us have been taught to believe that purpose is something big and audacious. It has to be saving the world or making a billion dollars or curing cancer. This gets back to agency. Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't have agency to do those things. We don't happen to be the right person at the right time doing the right things with the right skills and talents. Instead, I would much rather look at purpose as something that is intensely important to us that we enjoy doing the process of. So those big audacious things are goals. Instead of focusing on goals, I love to look at purpose as focusing on process. Like, what is that thing I can do that I enjoy doing, that I love, that's important to me, even if I don't hit some huge outsized goals? I always talk about podcasting for me. I love sitting behind a mic 
doesn't matter who or if anyone downloads those episodes. Of course, I'd love thousands of people or millions of people to download them. Uh, but if they don't, nothing is lost because I felt a great sense of purpose in having that conversation and engaging those people in being part of the process. So if we look at purpose that way, it takes some of the stress away because all of a sudden you don't have to worry about whether you succeed or fail. You pretty much succeed by showing up. So then the big question becomes, well, what am I showing up to? What does purpose look like in my life? First and foremost, I think we need some definitions here. We often say, how do I find my purpose? And I think that's a misnomer. I don't think you find your purpose. I think you create it. So the better question is, are what are some of those things to anchor purpose around? And those you can start looking for and try to find. But I want to be real clear here. Building purpose in your life is just that. It's building it. So you can find some of these anchors, but you actually have to do some hard work to actually incorporate that in your life. So the question I think you're asking is, how do I find those anchors of purpose to really build a life around? I call it the climb, which is just pretty much taking purpose and putting it into action, right? So our climbs are those things that we do that are purposeful. How do we find anchors for those climbs? And I think there are a few really simple ways to do this, especially for us, middle-aged adults who maybe didn't know what it was before. The first and foremost is to take a lesson from the dying and do a life review, right? So with hospice patients, once we make sure their pain is controlled and their nausea and they're in the place they want to die in, we do something called the life review, which is a structured series of questions where we ask them about their lives. What was important during childhood? What did they succeed at? What did they fail at? What, who are those key relationships? And even ask them questions about now, like if you're going to die soon, what do you hope to accomplish? What will you be sad that you didn't accomplish? Those life review questions are actually really powerful in people who are not dying. And they're really good at helping you focus down on what's purposeful to you. Often during the life review process, we actually come to regrets. And you know what? When you have regret in a dying person, you know what that's called? It's called disappointment because they're dying and most likely they don't have time, space, or energy to fix it. But you know what you call regret in someone like you or I who hopefully has decades left? You call it purpose. And so doing a life review actually is a great way of looking at some of those regrets and then turning them into action, turning them into climbs, turning them into purpose. So I think that's a, a one way is doing a life review. Another one is exactly what we just talked about when we were talking about our kids. Thinking back to when you were a kid and what lit you up, what got you excited, what was purposeful for you back then before you went to school and were told you had to be a doctor for a living and society told you this is what you do to make money and Instagram told you what it looks like to be successful and what you're supposed to wear and where you're supposed to travel to. So an easy way to start thinking about purpose is go back to what you loved during childhood. I remember I was doing this process with one of my listeners and she realized and had totally forgotten she was obsessed with horse riding like all of her childhood up into her high school years. She went to college, she became a journalist, she moved to a city, there was no place to stable a horse there, she didn't have the money, and she totally lost that. And she was floundering at work for a decade, and she's like, I have no idea what purpose is. And I'm like, well, what lit you up as a kid? And she really, really thought about it, and she said, I used to love horses. And so all of a sudden, she had an anchor there, right? Does that mean she has purpose? No, but it's something she loved that was important to her that she lost touch with something that she did as a child so she could reconnect with that and start building a life of purpose around that. Maybe she could go volunteer at the stables. Maybe she could teach. Maybe she could, you know, there are a million things. Maybe she could write a blog about horses. Who knows? There's lots of ways to build purpose around it, but that was one of her anchors. There's some other ways to find anchors. A lot of times, another thing we just talked about, which I talk about all the time, is what wakes you up in the middle of the night and you can't fall back asleep. That's a good sign that that thing is important. What do most of us do? Most of the time we wake up the next morning exhausted. We haul our butts to work. We have a full day. And by the end of the day, we've lost all interest or flair for that idea. And then we forget about it. Well, what if you didn't forget about those things? What if you started thinking about those and say, hmm, maybe that's an anchor for purpose? So those are three really good ways there. A fourth way, which I always tell people is uh, if all else fails, throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. So the spaghetti method is pretty much Hey, you don't know what your purpose is? Go volunteer for a million things. Hang out with people you don't normally hang out with. Do things you normally would decline and see what feels like meaningful to you. So I think those are like three, four really good ways to start thinking about purpose now. And again, you're not going to find purpose, but you'll find an anchor, something that interests you 
And then you'll do the hard work and build a life of purpose around it. Yeah, I I love that. And Stu, just so you know, and I hear Doc G saying that I have permission to do this. I'm actually going to not be coming into the office for multiple days in a row. I'm going to go snowboarding. Just going to go snowboard, fly fishing, and uh, the connections that's that your I make purpose. On the mountain are, right. are going to be. Beautiful. Let me all, all joking aside. Let me make another important part point. We're talking about our kids, or we started by talking about our kids. If you want your kids to have a life mm. of purpose, there is no better way than to model that behavior yourself. And it. so again, this gets a lot into what my next book is going to be called The Purpose Code. But if you want to generationally impact your children and your children's children and their children's children, yes, you could make a billion dollars. Yes, you could build a huge company. But we know money comes and goes from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Next generations tend to lose it. But you know what? Your kid sees you doing something you're passionate about that fills a sense of purpose that helps you change the little world around you. Those kind of things are passed on. And I know this because it happened in my family. I always give the example. My mom loves math. And I grew up with my mom and I did what little kids do. I kind of modeled her behavior, which means you try on what your parents do and see if it fits you or not. I loved math. And you know, when I was a little kid, I had a learning disability and I couldn't read and I was way behind everyone else, but I could do math. In fact, I was ahead in math. And it was the one thing that gave me the confidence to actually overcome my learning disability as well as getting lots of help. And I took my mom's love of math, which became my love of math. I became a doctor. Being a doctor, I had to be really good at math. And I remember at one point I was seeing a patient in the hospital and they had kept on coming back over and over to the hospital. And I recognized a mathematical relationship between two of his labs numbers and realized that he had this rare disease that no one else had caught. And indeed, we did the diagnostic workup. He had it. We put him on a few different medicines. He stopped coming back to the hospital. This might've saved his life. This guy was a pastor in a local church and he would take in runaways and help them. So let's go back to me. My mom loves math. Why does my mom love math? Well, my mom's dad was a CPA, and when she was a kid, he used to sit her on his lap and go through all the spreadsheets, right? Because we're talking about the 1930s, 19, well, we're talking about 1940s now, right? There weren't all the computers and calculators, so she would sit on his lap, and those were some of her best days where he would explain what he was doing on his spreadsheets. So let's think about impact here. My grandfather, who I never met because he died before I was born, his love of math became my mother's love of math, which became my love of math, which helped me save this guy who's a pastor who would then give shelter to some poor runaway kid who had no one else to support them. My grandfather, a hundred years later, is affecting people who will never know his name. And it was because he found math to be purposeful, right? And so I love this idea that if your kids see you do the things that light you up, that connect you to other people, that that are deeply important to you, it will have profound effects on them. And that those effects will continue for long after you're gone. And I think that's just really cool. Yeah, that is, that Real is cool. a, an amazing story. I, I love it. You know, one of the things, you know, soon I started the kinetic man and, and really the, the emphasis is on the kinetic part, the doing thing. And, and I learned long, long ago, somebody challenged me. I was in a church and, and I was like, I don't know how I want to serve. You know, I was, I was, I was just out of college, you know, we were starting our military careers and someone challenged me and they're like, just, just, and I was like, I like kids. I don't know where I want to serve. And, it, and they said, look, dude, just start. Uh, me and a buddy of mine, two college, just graduated college, two dudes. We started at the preschool, uh, preschool, Sunday school classes. And we just, we just started moving up. Right. We did preschool. And I was like, oh, these kids are cute, but not really my jam. Went to elementary school. I was like, okay, these kids are like, yeah, still not my jam for me, not my jam. But I, but I love serving. Middle school, absolutely. The 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 people that serve middle school children are absolute angels, blessed by God, because they're terrible human beings. And I have one, and I'm about to have <laughs> oh two yeah, in middle school is hard, man. Dude, hard, yeah, terrible. Yeah. It is like crazy. And I'm like, absolutely not. And then I got to high school, and was like, ooh. And then I got to college level, just serving, right just committing to serve these different levels. And I found a, a passion for high school and then, and then especially college kids. And, and now like th that's, that's really refined over the last 20 years to men. Like I love serving men. And, but, it, but what is fascinating about your story 
is I feel like people, when it comes to purpose, is just like investing. It's just like real estate investing. You get analysis paralysis. Like, what is my purpose? And this is so stressful. I'm going to read so many books and I'm going to dig and I'm going to do, and they never do. But when you do, the beauty in doing is not only are you, you're testing it, like you said, but, but now you're also modeling, right? You're modeling and your kids especially pick up on everything. So like now there's little things we can do. Like when you said it, it re kind of reinvigorated. I'm going to start doing this, you know, probably uh, right when we come back from the new year break, but, or the Christmas break. But I want to start taking my kids out of school on dates because it's like mysterious, right? Like, um, hey, we're skipping school today. You're skipping school with daddy. We're going to go snowboarding because it's it's so dumb. But we put all this like, does it really matter that my kinder or my first grader misses a day of school? Like, is that really, is he not going to go to college or do whatever he wants to do with his, uh, you know, his, his, his classic future because he misses a day? Or is it more impactful that he's going to think back and be like, dude, my dad used to. I used to skip school with my dad. That's pretty cool, right? And so it just when you're talking about that, there's these things that we can do and you can test and then it becomes modeling that will make a difference. And that could be a generational uh, tradition that starts today with my kids and then they start skipping school with their kids and their kids start skipping school and they bring friends and who knows the impact, right? Who knows the impact? And so I, I just love that story and how you, um, you know, how you frame that. And, and, and a question for that, I'm just curious, you know, it's very similar taking action, but there's all this data, right? Like there, there's so much data and you highlighted the data that, that really points to uh, purpose, action, all these different things. Why is it that we're able to ignore it still? Like, why do we still, we, we're, we're flooded with all the information why do we still make the choices that we're making to not live the life that we were created to live? And, and how do we overcome that? Well, I mean, I think we're afraid of failure. And I think we, again, let me break this into two things. I think we're afraid of failure. And I think society models for us a very different picture than probably what's good for us, right? So we have Instagram and influencers, we have marketers, we have ads, and they're modeling a life which is not meant to serve you. It's meant to line their pockets, period. But that is being sold to us at every turn. And even in our lifetimes, we've seen just the growth of social media and the messages being given to our kids nowadays. Those messages aren't be your best self, spend time on yourself, some of them are, but most of these messages are buy the expensive thing, take the expensive vacation, buy this exercise supplement, join this gym, be more like me. And so that's the one part. And then I think the other part is a lot about failure. I mean, we're deathly afraid of failing. And society has told us that our purpose and our goals are not important unless they're big. And so the idea of taking on these big goals and this big idea of purpose is so scary that a lot of us don't even try. And again, this gets back to the shift of changing and thinking about your anchors of purpose being way more in the small, right? Let's focus on things that we can enjoy the process of doing as opposed to where it takes us. Let's look, I, I believe if you look at your purpose as a big audacious goal, you're really buying into scarcity. scarcity. Let's look into abundance. How many things do we just enjoy doing because we like doing them Let's focus on those things. Like, and I think if we start turning that script around, it'll give us a little bit more courage to take action. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, that that kind of leads to another thought that I had about just and you hit on it in the book also, is this the regret of the dying. And you and you referenced uh Bronnie Ware's book. Um, and you know, she lists five things that uh she found in common that uh, people regret. I'm just curious, you know, from your experience, you know, being in, being in hospice, like, did you see those same things? Did you have those experiences of talking to people and those same regrets kind of showed up? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's remarkably similar, although as individuals, we're very different. So the details are different, but ultimately everybody regrets that they didn't have the energy, courage, or time to do or be those things that were important to them. Right. And so there's five or six or 10 different ways of saying it, but it all comes down to that. And what's interesting 
is, you know, I come from a personal finance background. So I even like to flip that one more time and say, instead of regret what we didn't do, regret what we failed to invest in, right? So we failed to invest in that hobby or that sense of purpose that was important to us. We failed to invest in the people around us who are important. We failed to invest in learning the knowledge that would have allowed us to be happier. So I, I love even flipping that script, but it's it's remarkably similar. There were things within our reach that we didn't reach for because we were scared or we didn't have enough energy, courage, or time. And again, I always say this, interestingly enough, it's never that I tried and failed. I almost never hear someone say on their deathbed, boy, that thing was really important to me. And as the as the plaque behind you says, I got into the arena. He has a plaque of the arena speech behind him. So never do I hear someone say, I got into the arena and failed miserably. And I regret that because you don't regret if you tried your best and you failed. You regret that you didn't have the courage to try. Yeah, it's the story uh, you hit on uh, the, the man wanting to climb Mount Everest. Like, yeah, yeah. Ernesto in the book. I changed yeah. everyone's name, et cetera. But yeah, young gentleman who decided in his 20s that he was going to take a few years off or take a year off sabbatical and go climb Mount Everest. Everyone thought he was crazy. Everyone's like, you're in the midst of your career. You're totally moving up. This is going to slow you down. How could you give up this great earning year? And he said, no, I'm doing this. And he got to Everest and they climbed about halfway up and the weather changed and they had to come back down. He eventually went back to work and in his forties, he was dying of leukemia. And mm. all he could do was talk about this climb, getting up on Mount Everest, this important purposeful thing that he had the courage to do, but he didn't really spend much time about saying, boy, I wish I had made it all the way to the top. He just regaled us with stories of what it felt like to be on the mountain. And so the question is, are you getting on the mountain? Now, because we don't know how much time we have left. I hope we all have decades and decades and decades. Um, but I would hate for you to end up like my hospice patients going, I had all this time and fear and worries and all these things kept me from doing what I really wanted to do. I didn't invest in what was important to me. And now I regret it. Yeah, it's all, I think you just gave us the title of the episode, too. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I love, I love, I love that. And, and there's two points that, that you just made. You know, I think one of the biggest problems that we face is we also don't give ourselves capacity any time to even think about what we want, right. To even think about, to consider what it is that we, that we truly are passionate about. And, and, you know, when you talk about fear, one of the things you wrote in the book is, is you said, uh, we are scared to death of dying, but just as pervasive, pervasive is our fear of life. And so I just love the idea of, you know, and it really pushes me, it challenges me to, to, you know, I think we're very intentional in thinking about these things, Stu and I in, in the mastermind, but, but it really pushed me to be like, dude, I need to dig deeper. Like, what are the things that no kidding, like sit in it for an hour, sit in it. I just got this, uh, you know, this, this uh, uh, terminal illness. I'm aware of it now. Like just sit in that. Right. And think, what are the things that I would be so, so regretful for? And for me personally, it's not having a, a different best friend, right? Like Stu's my my current best friend, and and I need to really work through <laughs> you, finding someone else. You need to do you know, something about it's, that. I it's mean, a come big, on. it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. But uh, but but, but incredibly I think that handsome. What a great <laughs> exercise because I I don't even think step one thinking about like what do I what am I passionate about? I, I would argue that most men in particular they can't answer that question, right? They yeah. can't answer that question because they're doing exactly the cycle you talk about. They get up tired, drink your coffee, get in your car, you commute to work, you do your work thing. Um, now, I, I, my next question, I don't want to disparage work. One of the other things that's fascinating to me about your book is how much you highlight. And, and you said, um, you said, why do we naturally classify work that we do for others as bad and work that we do for ourselves as good, right? And, and, and we're in this world where we're surrounded by entrepreneurs and, and W2 is almost like a Oh, bad word. <laughs> I got to do a W2. And, and I've never felt that way. I've never, I've never, if you find, like, I never looked at the military and was like, oh, I'm doing this. Like I did it because I wanted to, and because I loved it. And then when I didn't, I left and, and I'm doing other things. And so if you don't mind talking about just your ideas on work, cause I think it's fascinating. It was fascinating to me, the idea that we're trying so hard to retire, but in reality, I, I just, that is such a bad approach. And it's just not what I truly think we should be doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we limit ourselves with the traditional definitions of work. So what I say is you're working your whole life, right? 
whether you're working for someone else or you're working for other people or you're working for yourself, pretty much just work is the exchange of goods or services, right? So when you're working for someone else, you're exchanging your goods and services, whether that's you're working as a dishwasher and you're washing dishes, and then your employer gives you money. Money is potential energy. It's a holder of goods and services, which you can then take that money and spend it on something else and obtain someone else's goods and services. So I can work as a dishwasher, get all that potential energy of money, take that money, go to the store and buy myself some ice cream. And all we've done is pretty much exchange goods and services the whole time. So when I think about work, I think about this idea that you're always exchanging goods and services. Even after you quote unquote retire, when you go home and wash your own dishes, right? You're doing a good and service for yourself. And what you're exchanging that for is the need to spend money for someone else to provide that for you. And so if we free ourselves of that kind of traditional idea of work, you stop worrying about, well, when do I retire versus I don't retire? What you really start thinking about is, well, how do I spend my time providing those goods and services that lights me up? And how do I fill as much of my time in my life as possible doing that stuff I like? And when you realize that, you say, well, it doesn't necessarily matter if I work for someone else or work for myself. For different people at different times in their lives, it might be better to work for yourself. And then other times it might be better to work for someone else. But as opposed to worrying about that, let's worry about what activities I want to be doing during whatever little bit of time I have left, whether that's days, months, years, or decades. And let's first figure that out. And then we can figure out the details, right? Because if you love what you do, you can do that for someone else and you can do it for your own on your own. And Depending on the season of your life and your economics, you may go back and forth, but none of that matters if you start filling your life up with those things you really like doing. And so I think I think we have to stop worrying about whether we work for ourselves or work for other people. I think we have to stop worrying about how I'm going to accrue enough money to never work again and instead start thinking about, well, what's that work that really fills me up? Because I'm going to be doing work my whole life till the day I die. Why don't I focus on that kind of work I really want to do and then build our financial life around that? And so the details kind of come later once you decide what that thing is you really want to do. That's good, man. Speaking of time, my wife and I were actually having a conversation about time uh, and it was somewhat based off of you know the book, your book. Um, I was you know telling her about the chapter on on time and being efficient with it and um, she just went on a girl's trip and had a blast, but like, felt like she just got stacked up. You know, we had loads of laundry that she only can do. She doesn't allow me to do as, as the dad <laughs> to do laundry. Uh, you know, she has her job, the kids, birthdays, Christmas, like all these things, right. They're all stacking up on her and she's stressed. And, and so this is a selfish question because I know she's going to listen to it, uh, in space off of our conversation. Like, how do we, how do we step back and, and not stress about time? not stress about, you know, our to-do list and, you know, all the burdensome things that uh, we want to complete in our life. Um, And then, you know, like, look at that differently. How do we do that? Well, here's what I always tell people. It's like, you can't commoditize time, right? You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't save it. Time passes no matter what you do. So the key really is to try to fill up as many of those time slots of your life, right? Whether that's hours, days, months, or years, try to fill those up with as many good purposeful activities as you can, and then get rid of things you loathe as much as you can out of those same time slots. And that's pretty much winning the game, right? Winning the game is just trying to fill as many of those time slots as possible with stuff that fills you up and getting rid of the rest. So for someone like your wife or for a lot of us, right, who are struggling with that, we really have to see this as that precious allotment that we can't change. It's going to pass no matter what. So how can we be more thoughtful and more intentional about what we put in those time periods? And so everyone, it's different, right? So there are many things that back up for all of us. And so then we have to really do the calculus of, are these things meaningful to us? If they're not, can we subtract them? If they are, how can we do more of them? How can we use that potential energy of money to unburden us of some things we loathe? And how can we then use that freed up time and space to put things into those time slots that we love? And so it's a complicated calculus and it's different for each person. And so 
going on a vacation and doing something you love and filling that time slot with something you really love should not come at the cost of feeling doubly burdened when you come back home. And if it does, the question then becomes, how can we take those things we love, like the vacations and the people and the connectedness, and build that more into our daily routine so that it doesn't have to be a stop in our life to go do that thing that fills us up and then go back to our life and get creamed by catching up on everything else. This is a good time to look at your life. And it's hard when we have kids and a spouse and we have monetary needs. I'm not going to say any of this is easy. But it's time to start re-engineering some of it to say, how am I going to fill as much of this precious time with the things I love and get rid of the things I loathe? And it's hard work. I mean, this is some of the hardest work we do. Like what things can she let go of that maybe she doesn't need to control, right? Maybe some of the things can be imperfect and she can let you do some of them. And she can accept that imperfection because it gives her more control over some of her time. Some of the things maybe she'll hire out and say, look, it's worth spending a little of this potential energy, this money I've saved up. I love the idea of saving for retirement, but the point of money is to spend it strategically and maybe strategically spending it means I hire a little help so I don't get creamed when I start doing the things I want to do. Um, all of that plays into it. But I, I would I would say there's no simple answer. We're really talking about, I love to talk about incremental change and gain. And so what we're talking about is the art of subtraction, right? Slowly subtracting out that and which in your life doesn't work for you. The joy of addition, start adding in those things that you do love. And when all else fails, substitution, getting, you know, substituting the stuff that you don't love for something maybe you, you also don't love, but doesn't bother you as much. And so I think that's, those are the toggles we have, the joy of addition, the art of subtraction, and then substitution. And we have to use them relentlessly and ruthlessly to create the life we want. What, what I'm hearing you say is that we should just hire a house cleaner. That's, that's, what, <laughs> that's what I'm hearing you say. You know what? For instance, if you or your wife likes their job and don't mind making money, it is worth saying, I can't retire for an extra few years to have a house cleaner who comes in and saves you time and emotional energy so you can use that time for something you enjoy more. It is totally worth saying, I don't have to save exactly as much because the time value today is really important to me. That's good. Uh, it, somewhat joking, but kind of not really, but uh, it's 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 a really good point to uh, to come across. Judy, I know you got a, a burning question there. No, I, I think, well, I do have a burning question, but you know, we recently re uh, uh reintegrated house cleaning into our into our budget into our life and uh, like zero regrets yeah. not even and, and they do a better job like you walk in and there's that smell like you can't nobody i've never seen somebody clean their house that fabricates that that clean smell i just don't i don't know if it's what they use or what they do but man that's like that in and of itself is calming you walk in you're like oh the clean smell the clean smells here but it's I, you know I, I love that you know and 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 I think one of the things that you also have to do that we should be very conscious of doing that that I don't think we do is is uh, uh, for ourselves in our conversations with our spouses is this idea of questioning why right why okay so what is it about the laundry that I do so terribly and if I did mess up this the, your biggest fear in life is that I mess this thing up with the laundry I add too much soap not enough uh, fabric softener what is the true consequence. Right. And as you start digging into those whys, I think it's it's pretty fascinating for all of us because my wife, uh, she likes to control certain things too. And, and I'm like, is that really, is that really that important? And and maybe try it on like this weekend, I did three loads of laundry, you know, I, and I folded it all. Right. And I don't think she cared at all. <laughs> I don't think she cared at all, but, but it's also taking time to get to that place where it just, you know, that question arose. Do you like that? It's all done. I do. Is that, worth more than potentially the way that you folded it. Yes. Okay, cool. Then yeah. giddy up. Right. You know, to take to take this away from our our wives so we don't get in trouble and and talk about just in general, when we persist in beliefs, ideas, or thoughts that push us to behavior that makes us anxious mm. or overburdened or overpowered, it's usually a pretty good sign that there's some trauma behind it. And so the question is why? Like Going back to what you said is, why do we persist in this thought, which actually gives us anxiety and stress? 
And so it's no one else can do the laundry but me. But why? And what you generally find is somewhere deep down inside, there's a story there. There's a trauma. There's something that happened either to that person or a family member that really had an impact on them and has caused some generational trauma, some real trauma. And so the question is, why we persist in these things that make our lives very hectic. And a lot of times, if if you can do some of that work, you might be able to uncover it and that might be able to release some of the need to do these things. So a lot of the question becomes is, is what serves us and what doesn't. And some of these things feel like they very much serve us in the short term, but in the long term, they make our life over full and hectic and scary and, and difficult. Um, and so that's a lot of times it's trying to get to the bottom of, of, as you were saying, those whys of what does this, what does this mean to my life? What does it represent? Something where I didn't have control and now I think I'm going to fix all of that in the past by having super control now. Hmm. No, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Hey, question for you, uh, Jordan, more personal note. What do you have to accomplish before you die? Like what is on that thing that as you've uh, dug into it, I'm just curious, what is uh, what does Doc G have to accomplish before he dies? The truth of the matter is I did a lot of thinking about this before I got to this place where I wrote a book on it. And so the truth is I I, I really accomplished 99% of what I want to do. Like I, I very much live in the, if I were going to die tomorrow, you know, what wouldn't I have gotten to do? And so by the time I even wrote this book, I had done a lot of thinking. But the last big thing for me was actually traditionally publishing a book. It was something I had a big mental block on myself. Uh, just didn't think it was possible or wasn't thinking uh, thinking it was something I could do. Um, I would have regretted that if I hadn't done this, I would have died with profound regret that I had never, never tried. Um, and so at this point, honestly, I don't have a huge amount of things. Like I, I try to be very present with my family, like having my father die when he was 40 and I was seven makes me very present with my kids. Like I, I frequently have the conversation, you know, if something were to happen to me tomorrow, I've died a very happy person. Go live your life. Know that I only want the best for you and you will be fine, right? I was fine. My dad died. I was seven. And look how happy I am now. You will be fine. I have lots of those conversations with my spouse and my children. Um, so I've tried to really kind of prepare in that manner um, because I'm very thoughtful about this, not just because my dad died, but because I work in hospice because I wrote this book, it all makes me think very much about these things. So I guess if I really had something big to tell you, I would be like, well, why aren't I doing it now? Um, Great point. Uh, yeah. And I really, well, I don't, and I think I what you said a is huge big number though, of things. Yeah. Right. I think what you said is, is huge in that the vast majority of people that we come across every day could not say it with that level of confidence or conviction and, and also freedom, right. The, the, the freedom to be able to be like, man, I'm, I'm good because you are going to die. It's guaranteed. Yeah. Everybody yeah. on this call is going to die. <laughs> yeah. But to be able to walk into that with your eyes wide open with acceptance and freedom and beauty is something that that also you're modeling. Yeah. Right? You're and modeling, it, you're modeling that reality, which is beautiful. I love it. Again, to come back to something I said before, what is regret in people who aren't dying soon? It's purpose. And so what I've done is I've tried to build these purposeful things in my life in place of regret, right? And since I don't really worry about the goals, I don't have a lot to regret unless I'm afraid to show up and do some of the work if I'm you know, too afraid to show up and be in the arena. But as long as I'm willing to step in the arena in something I really enjoy the process of doing, I'm living out my purpose every day, like by being on this podcast, by writing, by exercising, by reading all these things that are what I call climbs, these meaningful activities that I have in my day, that kind of takes the place of regret. And I, I don't think you need both. Like, I think once you get deep into purpose, I think regret kind of falls away. That's so good. One last question for you. I want to honor your time. Um, and this is more of a practical uh, question for our listeners. You know, at the end of the book, you talk about a lot about, you know, Doc G's, uh, you know, investing tips. And interestingly, most of them aren't, uh, you know, invest in real estate, invest in Apple, invest in like it's it's investing yourself, you know, education, uh, other people, children, physical, mental health. The last one you say invest in the market. Um, so the question is, let's say I have five thousand dollars. What do I use $5,000 to invest in? You know, from all those tips you gave, 
So that deeply depends on what you need that $5,000 for, who you are and where you are in life. So let me give you a few examples. If you are 22 and deeply engaged in your job and just getting, you know, serious with your girlfriend or boyfriend and life is really busy and you don't need that $5,000 for the next 10 years, you 100% put it in the stock market and S&P 500 index and not, or a, a total market index and don't even think about it again. Same scenario. You're 22. You don't have a job. You want to be self-employed. You're like, how do I build a life for myself? I'm not interested in putting on a suit or corporate America. Maybe you take that $5,000 and use it as a down payment on a rental unit and then start getting into real estate. Again, very different things. Maybe you're a 35-year-old and you've got a three-year-old and you're busy in corporate America and you're worried about them having money for college and then that $5,000 goes into a 529. So it really depends on where you are in life. But all of these things, if you don't need that money right away, let's get it compounding. So whether that's the stock market or real estate or a 529 fund, or if you're going to use that as the seed startup for your own internet business, let's put it into something that can grow. That's always my goal. Love it. Love it. Jordan, yeah, this has been, go ahead. Dave. Well, I think my favorite part of that advice in what I'm hearing throughout all of those is also a deep level of self-awareness giving yourself capacity to think, to know, you know, in the book, you talk, we talk about this all the time, the GPS, and you mentioned it in your book it's effective because you you know where you are and where you're trying to go. If you don't know one of those points, most likely most people don't know where they are. Like I, I find that to be the biggest gap. It's not where they think they want to go. It's where they currently are at is, is the biggest, is the biggest variable. And they just don't understand that. And so what I'm hearing you say is know where you're at, yeah. know where you're at. Reverse engineer, right? If you know where you're at and you know where you want to go, you can reverse engineer your way there. So love it. Hey, Jordan, where do we uh, send people? You have a podcast, you have some books, you have a future book. Uh, what's the best place to uh, put in our show notes to send people to go check out more about you? So the easiest way is to go to jordangrummet.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-U-M-E-T.com. There you can find pretty much the three places I've ever created content. The first is a medical blog, which I did from like 2004 to 2018. I don't write there anymore. It's called In My Humble Opinion. The link is there. The second is a financial blog called Diversify, where I wrote a lot about personal finance. And the last, which is where I do most of my creation today, is the Earn and Invest podcast. And last but not least, you can see links to the book, Taking Stock, uh, everything at jordangrummet.com. I love it. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I took copious notes, stars, underlines, you know, corners creased, uh, talked to my wife about it, told her she needs to read it. And, uh, you know, I loved it, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to your next book. You said it's coming out January of 05 or 25. Is that about right? Yeah. January 25. It's called the purpose code. And it is a direct response to all the feedback I got from taking stock because everyone looked at me and said, that's great. Find my sense of purpose, identity connections, but how the heck do I do that? So this book really tackles that topic. Awesome, man. Goody, you got anything else before we sign off? Yeah. Hey, Jordan, I just want to thank you so much for your time and and just the huge value that you bring to our audience, but also everything that you do. You know, we talked about generational impacts. I, I think when you write a, a truly impactful book that is just a value add to other people, uh, you will not be able to measure the impact of that. The ROI on that investment is is going to be generational. Uh, you know, just looking at this podcast, how much I talk to my kids about it when I gift this book, you know, the, the circles that, that that will influence and impact. And obviously I'll try to take credit for it because I'm going to give your book out as a gift. But, but I mean, ultimately, <laughs> you know, you wrote it and, and everything you're doing is just so, it, it is it is a, a hugely powerful thing. And and you, won't, you will not know the true measure of the impact until you get to heaven. And I think that that's a, an amazing, amazing place to be. So, and the fact that you're 99% uh, uh, living in 99% accomplishment of, of, your, of your life goals and your purposes is, is a beautiful thing. So thank you for that. Thank you for the motivation. Thank you for uh, just everything you do, man. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Thank, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Hey, guys and gals, reach out to Jordan. Check out his website, Read Taking Stock. Uh, be prepared for uh, the next book to come. Listen to his podcast. It's amazing. Um, and let's go take action. Let's go make some change, find your purpose and figure out who you are and, and go live this world in a better life. Uh, go take uncommon action. See ya. See ya. Hey, before we let you go and tackle the day, uh, we wanted to tell you about uh, a new product coming out called the manifesto. It's a newsletter. It's free. It comes out twice a month. 
and uh, we give actionable steps, insights, and inspiration uh, to help you on your journey to becoming a better man. Um, we aim to be the highest value per minute email in your inbox every time. So uh, go check it out. Uh, you can go to thekineticman.com backslash newsletter. Again, that's thekineticman.com backslash newsletter and sign up for the manifesto. It is going to be awesome. See you. Thank you for listening to the Connect Man podcast. If you are growth-minded, community-focused, and willing to take uncommon action to redefine success and live an abundant life, visit our website at www.thekineticman.com to see all the ways we can connect. And on our website, you can find more information on everything we're doing, like joining our meetup page to get the details on our webinars and our local Thursday gatherings here in Colorado. From our site, you can also find more information on and sign up for the next Kinetic Man Retreat and the next house of our mastermind group. Finally, we always appreciate your love and support. Please share this episode and go rate us on your favorite podcast player of choice. Thank you again. Now go take uncommon action.